Well, we have come now to the end of our series, okay? If you've been coming to this church now for the first part of January, the first month or first part of this year, you know that we have been in a series and we began this series starting it off with a question. And that question simply put was, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? And if you've been going through, to, through this series throughout this month, hopefully by now you do. Hopefully by now you have caught the vision of Believe Church. You have caught the vision of Cynthia and myself of what God has put on our, our hearts to do for him and for the good of his people. But just in case you don't see it just yet, or just in case you still need more clarity on the vision of God in this church, we wanted to end our series with having our own Q&A, okay? Having a time where we have our own Q&A. And so we put up the QR code for you there and allowed you to go on and anonymously submit any questions you may have. And so we got some questions that came in. So we're going to be answering those questions today. But before we get to those questions, let me again remind you what this series has been about. Vision is all about really three things. It is about seeing the unseen. It is about saying what you see. And it is about pursuing with power to pull it off. Okay, That really, in, in a nutshell, is what vision is all about. You know, the, the ability to see what can be seen is sight, but the ability to see what cannot be seen, God calls that vision. And when we see the vision, we ought to say the vision. And once we say the vision, we ought to be doing anything and everything we can in our power to pull it off. That is what vision is. Or in other words, how another preacher put it, he says, it is believing that it is so, even though it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. Okay? <laughs> that, that's faith. That's faith to believe in the thing you cannot see, but you know you already have. It's believing that it is so, even though it's not so, so that it might be so. Simply because God said so. That's faith. Again, remember, faith is not wishing. Hope is not wishing that it will happen. Hope and faith is knowing it is going to happen. It just hadn't happened yet. <laughs> but because I know it's going to happen, because I have seen that it's going to happen, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to act like it. I'm going to speak it. And I'm going to pursue it with everything that I have so that I may see the fruition thereof. That is faith, that is hope, that is vision, and that is what God has given us. So it's been about 14 years since God gave my wife and I vision for a particular ministry. And it has taken us 14 years, believe it or not, even to get to, to this point. But we are beginning to see the fruition of this vision. We're beginning to see what God laid on our hearts 14 years ago beginning to come to pass. And I believe as good as God has been in these 14 years and as good as it has been for us to go through all that we've experienced, there is so much more that he wants to do. There's so much more that we are going to take this ministry. And I believe you all are a part of that. You all are going to be intricate parts 
and have intricate roles and be involved in bringing that vision to pass. And there's so much more to come. So because of that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to ask any question you had about our series, about our beliefs, about our mission, about what we're doing, our approach to ministry, anything about vision so that you can be as invested as you possibly can in the vision of Believe Church. We don't want you to have any hindrance. We don't want you to have any obstacles or anything that is hindering you from fully investing yourself in the vision of Believe Church. So that's why we gave you an opportunity to give your questions. So we only have four that we are going to address today. So I brought my, my stool out here so I can kind of calm down and not, not be all over the place while I attempt to answer the questions that you submitted, okay? So we're going to do that and we're going to call this particular installment, our last installment of our series, Do You See What I See? Part five is See and Say Q&A, okay? See and Say <laughs> Q&A or question and answering according to the vision that we've given you. Question number one is an easy one. <laughs> it's not so much on our series, it's more about our series. And this particular person asked this, why are we not continuing the book of Daniel? Okay. <laughs> that, 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 that was their question. Okay. Why, why are we not continuing the book of Daniel? If you were here last year, you know, we started the book of Daniel and it was a great series. It was a powerful series. Um, but as we said last year, Daniel is broken up into two different sections. Daniel is broken up into two different parts. You have the first section that talks about uh, Israel's exile out of Jerusalem, out of their land, and being brought into captivity in Babylon. You have the testing and the rise in prominence of Daniel and his three friends. You have their persecution, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace. You have them interpreting messages from God, whether it's visions or dreams or handwritings on a wall. That's what the first part of Daniel is all about. But after that, there is a pivot. There is a shift. There is a change that takes place in the book of Daniel. The second half of Daniel is all about God's message to Daniel. Up until this point, Daniel has been interpreting God's vision to other people, to the kings, okay, to uh, Belteshazzar and uh, all these other kings that were there. And so now the second half of Daniel is all about God's message to Daniel about everything, okay? Because the vision and the dreams that Daniel is going to get is all about end-time prophecy. End-time prophecy is what the second half of the book of Daniel is all about. So I didn't want to start something I could not finish. Because we were going into the holiday uh, times, and I know we're going to do things for Christmas, and I knew we we're going to try and start a brand new year in a brand new way. I didn't want to start something and have to break from it and then go back to it. So what we did last year is we just pressed pause on Daniel, and we went through other things. We talked about the gift of God during December. We talked about vision in January. But now that we've completed those two things, we are ready to get back to the book of Daniel. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. Yeah? 
that's what we're going to be doing next week. We're going to start our brand new series. Uh, I'll give you a little taste, a little preview. It's called The Sealed Revealed, okay? The Sealed Revealed, because at the end of the book of Daniel, after God gives Daniel all of these things, these visions, these dreams, he says, now, Daniel, I want you to seal all this up, <laughs> Seal it all up because this is not for you. It's not for your time. But there's going to be a time where that seal is going to be broken. There's going to be a time where that seal is going to be open and it's going to be revealed what the end times will be like. And so we're going to have a great time in that series. I pray that you come back. You be here for it. You don't want to miss not one Sunday of what God is going to share through us in that series. All right. So that is your answer to question number one. That is why we are not in the book of Daniel just yet. But next week, we'll get right back into it. All right. Question number two. Question number two. Now, this particular question may not appear to be relevant to our series on the surface, uh, but I believe that it, it is. And you will see why once we get into it. This was this person's question. They said, are our loved ones who are in heaven able to witness or see what is happening on earth. Right? Our, our loved ones who are in heaven already, they've passed, they've gone on to be with the Lord, they're in heaven. Their question is, are they able to witness what is going on or happening on earth? Are they able to see what is going on or happening with us on earth, even though they are now in heaven? Okay. Now, there are only two possible uh, answers to this, okay? <laughs> Either yes, they can, <laughs> or no, they can't, okay? Those are the only two options you have, okay? But because of those two options, we actually have three beliefs. You have those who say, yes, I believe those who are in heaven right now can see what is going on or happening or taking place on earth with us. Then you have those who believe no, I don't believe that anybody can see what's going on on earth. They can't see what's happening with us. They're in heaven. That's it. And then you have those who say, well, I just don't know. Okay. <laughs> and because I don't know, I can't say one way or the other. Those are the three beliefs someone would have on this particular topic here. Okay. Now, those who say, no, I don't believe people can see or witness what is happening on earth. One of the reasons they would say that is because they would say if they could see what is happening to us on earth from heaven, then that would mean heaven is not really heaven. And the reason they would say that is because then they would perhaps be saddened by all the things they were seeing that we were going through. I mean, when they see us going through the coronavirus and they see us having the mass shootings and they see us with wars and all these things that we are continuing with, whether on a mass scale or even individually in our lives, they would be sad for us. They would be brokenhearted because of that, which means heaven really wouldn't be heaven if they can see that. Well, that may be true. But what also may be true is this. Yes, they may see the struggle, but from heaven, they also see the other side of the struggle. You see, the reason why we don't like the struggle, the reason why we contend with the struggle, the reason why we have ad adversity with the struggle is because all we see is the struggle. <laughs> we don't see what's on the other side of the struggle. We don't see what the struggle is producing in us. We don't see how God is weaving all this together and working it out for our good because we love God and we've been called according to his purpose. We don't see that from this side. But in heaven... 
they just might see that. <laughs> so, yeah, they may see us struggling. They may see our hearts being broken. They may see all the things we're having to contend with, but they also see what it is going to produce. And therefore, they are still able to rejoice in the goodness of God, because even though we are struggling and suffering for a little while, they know at the end, joy comes in the morning. <laughs> and so it is speculative at best, whether we say one way or another, whether somebody can or they in heaven can see us or witness what we're doing or not. But I wouldn't use the argument that it wouldn't be heaven or they would be saddened because, again, in heaven, the Bible says we will see and know as we are known. Okay, right now we see dimly, but there we will see face to face. God, everything that we need to know and there is to know, we will then know. Okay, so because we can't uh, uh, speculate, you know, whether you can see from heaven or can't see from heaven, that's speculative. Uh, so the question again is what we say on Wednesdays. What does the Bible say about this? Because you can say one thing, I can say one thing, who cares? Okay? <laughs> what does the Bible have to say on this particular matter? Well, there is at least one particular scripture that would allude at least to the possibility that those who are in heaven can see or can witness what we are experiencing here on earth. And it even goes along with vision. Okay, That particular scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and it reads as follows. Hebrews 12, 1, toward the back of your Bible, it says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses. <laughs> Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Bible says we are right now already surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, what are witnesses? Witnesses are those who see or those who have seen something. If you have a court case and you call in witnesses, you're calling in people who can testify according to what they have seen. Okay, that's what a witness is. That's what a witness does. So the question is, okay, what have they witnessed? Have they simply witnessed the goodness of God? Have they simply witnessed the things of God? Or are they witnessing what is going on with the people of God? That's the question. That's the debate. Okay. And the second question we would have is, who are these witnesses? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? Some would say, well, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I would beg to differ. Okay? Now, yes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is watching over us. Make no mistake about that. But I don't believe that is who the writer in Hebrews is addressing or referring to. Why do we say that? Well, because of that word, therefore. <laughs> Because of that word, therefore, again, and we always say anytime you read through the Bible and you see the word, therefore, you want to see what it's there for. <laughs> you want to see what the word, therefore, 
is therefore, okay? <laughs> therefore is a conjunction. Remember, the Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters. Man put that in so that we can easily find different verses, okay? But it's just one long letter, okay? There's no chapters, there's no verses. So if we don't break it up in chapters and verses and read it as one long letter, we don't differentiate the argument or the thought that the writer has. So whenever you see the word therefore, you have to back up to see what it's there for. And if you back up to chapter 11, you find what is known or referred to as the hall of faith. You find mentioned in chapter 11, people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Sarah and Rahab and Samson and David and on and on and on. You have these men and women who are being uh, honored because of the faith that they had and the faith that they expressed. You know, right now we just honored uh, athletes for the NFL, right, because of the accomplishments that they made in their sport, in their field. Well, God did the same thing in his word. He took the men and women who expressed and exemplified faith and he honors them by mentioning them in Hebrews chapter 11. And then he says, therefore, which means in light of all the names, all the men, all the women, all the people that I just gave you. Therefore, because we are surrounded by these men, by these women, by these people of God who express faith in God, we are able to do the very same thing. At the end of chapter 11, it says that God didn't make them perfect. He didn't want them to be made perfect apart from us. So they are waiting for this to be over, just like we are waiting for this to be over. So it could be that they are there in heaven in glory, but they are a cloud of witnesses who have, yes, witnessed the goodness of God, but who have also witnessed what is going on here. And they are cheering us on. They are saying you can do it. You can continue in that vision. You can uh, see it come to pass because just like we believe God, just like we had faith to trust God, just like we continued in God and we received the promises of God, it will happen for you as well. So escape from that snare of sin, from those things that keep you and, and grip you and keep you away from the promises of God. They are there cheering us on. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and if they are witnessing now, perhaps all are witnessing, not just Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Enoch and Sarah and Rahab, but all who have passed to the other side, perhaps they are able to witness and cheer us on as well. The picture that I get is a lot like what we're going to see today at about 530, where you're going to have the Hall of Famers. They're going to go up into the stand, right? <laughs> The Hall of Famer is going to go up to the skybox and from the skybox, they're going to be able to witness the game. <laughs> they're going to be able to witness what is going on and they're going to cheer on the players and say, yes, you can do it. And one day you can be where we are. That is the picture that I get when I read Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. The cloud of witnesses are the men and women of faith who express and exemplify faith in, in Christ and God's word. And therefore, they are cheering us on at this time. All right. Question number three. Question number three. This particular question was not submitted to our particular link, 
But it was one that I kept hearing over and over again uh, circulating amongst you guys about last week's message. Okay, (laughs) so last week's message uh, was a part of our series. And so I figured it would be appropriate for us to address the questions that you guys had. If you were not here last week, what the topic of last week was on was fasting. Okay, the topic of last week was on fasting. And I did not realize how foreign fasting was to so many of you guys. (laughs) I did not realize how foreign fasting was to a lot of us in here. And there were those, I believe, after that message who felt, yes, although it was something that they should do, it was something that you felt you couldn't do. You know, I I just like food too much. I like to eat too much. I I can't fast, Pastor. And so after hearing a message like that that we preach, some of us left condemned rather than encouraged. And certainly that was not my heart. My heart was not to condemn anyone here based on what you felt you could or could not do. So I felt because of the chatter that I heard, because of the questions that people had, because of um, how people addressed me even after the fact, according to the fasting, I thought I would address just a little bit of that uh, before moving on. First thing I would say about that is this. God says in his word this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. (laughs) For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts from you. Translation, you're not going to want to do what I'm going to tell you to do in your flesh. (laughs) There is a lot of things you are not going to want to do that I'm going to tell you to do. Why? Because my ways are not your ways. Okay? So fasting is not the first nor is it the last, nor is it the only thing of God your flesh is not going to want to do. Okay? There's a lot of things that God is going to tell us to do our flesh is not going to want to do. There's another four, le- or four word or F word out there that um, we wouldn't want to do, and that F word is forgiving. <laughs> I think some of us in here would rather forgive than fast. If God says, I want you to think of the person you can't forgive and you can either forgive them or fast 40 days. You say, well, I picked the fasting 40 days. I'm not forgiving them. (laughs) I'm not forgiving. (laughs) It is because it rubs us the wrong way because we are fleshly. We are worldly. We are carnal. We are sinful. So when the spirit of truth comes to us, no, we're not going to like it. No, we're not going to accept it. No, we're not going to receive it. No, we're not going to want to do it in our flesh. We're going to fight it with everything we have because God's ways is not our ways. But like all things of God, whether it's fasting, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's whatever else, it is something we should do, even though it's something we don't want to do. Okay. So the purpose in giving you God's word on fasting was not to make anybody feel bad or to feel guilty or to feel condemned in any way. It was simply to reveal the secret to success. The disciples, they were failing at what God had told them to do. 
They weren't having much success in casting out demons as God had given them the power to do. So what Jesus simply does is he gives them the secret to success. He gives them the key to their victory, the power of, of success there. And in the same way, that's all that I was doing. I was simply giving you the secret to your success and victory over the things that you have going on in your life. So my job, you need to get this. And if you learn this now, it'll serve uh, uh, serve you well throughout the rest of your time here at Believe Church. Okay, my job is simply to lead you to the water. Okay, (laughs) my job, simply put, is to lead you to the water. Whether you drink or not is up to you. (laughs) Whether you drink or not is between you and God. So you don't have to come to me and apologize to me about anything. I'm sorry, Pastor, I can't. Don't apologize to me. (laughs) My job is to simply lead you to the secret of success. Open up the secrets and the mysteries of God's word to you. Whether or not you drink from the well, that's entirely up to you. Okay, Which leads me again to the last thing we will say about this is make sure that when you come to a church like this, even if it's not Believe Church, know why you're coming. As we said before, we are not for everybody. We are not, I I said that from the beginning, and we like to give that biblical response and answer, yeah, we're for everybody, we're for whosoever, but that's not really true. We're not for everybody. We're for those who are looking for truth, those who are looking to be challenged, and those who are looking for change. If you are not looking for those three things, looking for truth, looking to be challenged and looking for change, this church is not for you. It's not for you. okay? and it's fine. There are so many different churches you can go to where you can just check off your I went to church box and call it a day. Many churches you can go and do that. This isn't one of them. okay? So if you're not looking for those three things, for truth to be challenged and to be changed, you're not looking for this church. But if you are looking for those things. You ought to come here looking for that. Yeah. Salivating at the mouth. Yeah. Rub me the wrong way. Upset me. Offend me. Because I want to (laughs) change. A doctor can't make you better unless he cuts you. (laughs) He's got to cut you open. And you don't want to be cut. You don't want to be changed. But you may, you ought to want to come in here saying, yes, that's what I want. And, you know, we, we say that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. But are you really? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you say you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, but God asks you, are you really, though? Are you really sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because I've given you a resource from heaven. I've given you something to deal with your demons. I've given you something to move your mountains, but yet you say, no, thank you. So are you really sick and tired of being sick and tired? You say, well, what if it doesn't work, Pastor? I mean, you're telling me to go without a meal and go without eating for a while. What if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? (laughs) What if it does work? (laughs) Look, I would rather fast and nothing happens (laughs) than to not fast and find out something would have happened if I did it. I don't know about you, but that's, that's my take on it, okay? So I would say take not just fasting, take forgiving, take anything with the knowledge and revelation that God knows what's best. His way is not our way. And no, you're not going to die if you miss a meal. You're not going to die if you don't eat for a day. You may feel like you're dying, but you're not going to die. Okay, 
The part of you that will die is your flesh. Because whatever you don't feed, uh, feed will eventually die. It will get weaker. And so if you stop feeding your flesh and begin to feed your spirit, your flesh will get weaker. Your spirit will get stronger and you will experience the benefit of fasting. But you are not going to die. OK, trust me. And start off small. OK, if you're used to eating five meals a day, you can't say, well, I'm going to fast 40 days now. That's not going to happen. <laughs> start off small. OK, I'm going to skip lunch for today. I'm going to wait till the sun goes down before I eat. Start off small and work your way up and get better at it as you go. But just know that this is something God has given us to do, and it's, he's given it to us for our advantage. Okay. Lastly, I think I have to mention this as well. Keep it to yourself. Okay. Keep it to yourself. Jesus said this when he talked about fast. And when you fast, do not disfigure your face. You know, he says, wash up. <laughs> Anoint yourself with oil, put some lotion on, comb your hair. Don't make it seem like you're fasting. Oh, woe is me. I'm fasting. And all you're doing <laughs> is trying to get sympathy. <laughs> all you're doing is trying to get some applause. Ooh, look how spiritual they are. God says if that's why you're doing it, you have your reward. Don't, don't look to me to give you anything. If the only reason you are fasting is so people can applaud you, you have your reward. He says, no, but what you do in secret, I will reward you openly. So keep it to yourself. What you fast, when you fast, how you fast, why you fast, that's between you and God. You don't have to compare and let anybody know what you're doing. Amen? Does that help people, okay? So you're not condemned by that at all? All right. So we'll conclude now with question number four. And I saved question number four for last because this is the one I believe that the majority of us would uh, have in common. You may have had this question once in your life, or you will have this question if you just continue to live, okay? And the question is this. I am old, and yet God still will not release me from the visions of my youth. Will they still come to pass? So throughout the month of January, we've been talking about vision and not your vision particularly. We've been talking about God's vision and the vision for this church and what God wants to do in us, to us and even through us. But within that, we said God is also going to give you vision. He's going to let you see the unseen. He's going to give you the power to believe in what's not so, like we said, in order that it may be so. But like this individual, you say, well, God gave me visions when I was young, gave me vision when I was a youth. But now I'm old. <laughs> now I'm old. I'm in the, the latter part of my days or my life. And the vision that I had when I was a kid or when I was a youth, they still haven't come to pass yet. And so now that I'm old, I want to know, are these visions still going to come to fruition? Are these visions still going to come to pass? When I told, told you that me and my wife have been waiting 14 years for the vision that God pressed on our heart to come to pass, some of you think, well, that's crazy. You know, I'd, I'd have up, given up in four. Okay? After year four, it ain't happening. Let's go do something else. No, 
Not the Winchesters. <laughs> we were stubborn. <laughs> it was like, no, we've been through, through too much to give up now. Okay, We're going to keep this thing going. We're going to see how it plays out. We cannot give up now. Okay, 14 years we've been waiting for the vision to come to fruition. Okay, And you may find yourself in the same situation, or at least this particular person that wrote this particular question. So what I would advise you who wrote this and anybody else in here, number one, You need to make sure the vision you have is truly from God. Okay, you need to make sure that the vision that you have is a vision from God, simply meaning that it came from God and not from you. Or it came from God and not from somebody else. Sometimes we have a vision for our lives, but it's our vision. It's what we want to do. It's what we want to accomplish. The goals we have in our lives. That doesn't necessarily mean it's God's vision. So God is not obligated to do anything that is not from him. All he is obligated to do is what's in his name. In his name doesn't mean, well, that's how we end our prayer in Jesus name. No, it means it's for him. (laughs) It's for his kingdom. It's for his purpose. And that is all that God is obligated to fulfill. What is done in his name. So ask yourself, did this vision come from God or did it come from me or did it come from others? Maybe it came from your parents. There are some parents out there who want to live vicariously through their children. So they will force them to play football and they will force them to go to law school. They will force them to go and be a doctor. That's not really God's vision for you. That's your parents' vision. (laughs) So ask yourself, is this vision that I've had since my youth truly from God or is it from myself or someone else? And if you remember a few weeks back, we gave you the criteria Or one of the ways that you can know if your vision is truly from God. There are three things that a vision from God will always have. Now, they may have more than these three things, but they will have at least these three things. Okay, Vision from God will always have these three things. Number one, the vision of God will always be greater than you. It will always be greater than you, which means you will need more than just you to pull it off. If you can do what you have in your heart to do all by yourself. That is not a vision from God. God is always going to give you something that is greater than you so that you will need more than just you to pull it off, namely him to do it. Okay, we see this all over the Bible. Okay, so ask yourself, the vision that I have for my life, is it greater than me? Which means I need more than just me. Number two, Not only will a vision from God be greater than you, a vision from God will be for more than just you. (laughs) God is not interested in getting blessing to you if he can't get blessing through you. Okay, If God is not able to get blessing through you, he is not interested in getting blessing to you. Okay, We are to be a conduit of God's goodness. A conduit of God's blessing. He told Abraham, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. Okay. So the vision and the purpose God has for your life, it will always be for more than just you, for more than just your family. So if the purposes and the goals and the calling you have in your life, if it's just blessing you, if it's just blessing your family, that's not a vision from God. Because everything God does is for the intended purposes of blessing his kingdom, okay? And the purposes he has for it. 
So number one, it will be greater than you. Number two, it will be for more than just you. And then number three, it ought to outlast you. It ought to outlast you. In other words, if your vision that you have dies when you do, that's not a vision from God. Anything that God gives you ought to outlast you. In other words, when you die, he calls you home. What you have done and continued will continue regardless of you because it is not only for you and it's not based on you. Okay, so ask yourself those three things. The vision that I have, is it greater than me? Is it for more than just me? And will it outlast me uh, to the glory of God? Now, once you've determined that, yes, this vision is God's vision, okay? Once you have determined that, okay, that's been removed from the table, I would say then you need to meditate on and trust in Romans 11.29. What does Romans 11.29 say? Romans 11.29 says this, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. (laughs) For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That word irrevocable means unchangeable. You can't exchange it. You can't return it. (laughs) You can't cancel it out. If God has gifted it, if God has called it, it is unchangeable according to God's word. Unchangeable. No matter how old you are. Do you realize that Abraham was 75 years old when God came to him and gave him the vision? 75 years old Abraham was when God brought to him the vision and the calling for his life. Okay? And then he would be a hundred years old before that vision came to fruition, before the son of promise was born. Okay, so if you're not a hundred (laughs) yet, you still got time, right? (laughs) If you're not yet a hundred, you still got time to fulfill your vision. (laughs) So no matter how old you are, no matter how long it takes, my wife and I, we waited 14 years for this. Abraham waited 25 years for his. Joseph got his dreams and visions when he was a a youth, a teenager, 17, 18 years old. He would wait over 20 years before it came to pass. So no matter how old you are, no matter how long it takes, and watch this, no matter how much you refuse. (laughs) Some of you may say, well, I just refuse God so much. I did my own thing for so long. I knew God was calling me. I knew God had gifted me. I knew God wanted me to do this. I didn't want to do that. So I went into the world. I did my own thing. And maybe I've gone too far and I've done too much. And now I'm not able to uh, fulfill the vision that God has for me. Whoa, not according to Romans. Because <laughs> Romans 9-11 says God's calling is irrevocable. God's calling is unchangeable. No matter how much we refuse it, as long as we're willing to come back. Isn't that what Jonah found out? (laughs) Jonah received a gift from God. Jonah received a calling from God. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And he went the complete opposite direction. (laughs) Not only did he go the complete opposite direction, he said, kill me. (laughs) 
This storm is here because of, of my sake, so kill me. He, he didn't know a, a fish was waiting to swallow him up. That's not what was in Jonah's heart and mind. He said, kill me, throw me in this water. My days will be over. The storm will be done in your life, and you can move on with your life. So not only does he refuse to do what God wants him to do, he is suicidal and says, kill me now so I don't have to do it and you can move on with your life. And God still said, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Why? Because his gifts and his callings are irrevocable. And he gets to the point where he says, look, Jonah, even though you've refused, even though you ran away from me, even though you did your own thing, even though you tried to kill yourself to stop doing what I called you to do, I'm still going to call you to do it because my callings are irrevocable. So no matter how old you are, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much you refused in the past, and no matter how much you have even done, no matter how much you've even done, God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. This is what David discovered. David was a man who took another man's wife for himself, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then when he gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up. <laughs> then when he discovers he can't cover it up, he has her husband killed in battle to cover it up. Bring sin and shame and guilt and even the penalty of what he did, not only on himself, but on all of Israel. And even after that, he is still called a man after God's own heart. Jesus to this day is still called son of David. <laughs> How is that? Because God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. So the day and moment came in David's life where he says, I have sinned against you, God. To you and you alone have I sinned. So do not take your spirit away from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It came to a point where even though all the wrong that he did was bad, it was, it was horrible. God still didn't say, I'm through with you, David. God still didn't say, I'm done. All that promise, all the plans I have for you, you can forget about that now. He still didn't do that. David was restored even after all that he had done. Why? Because God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. And the reason why his gifts or callings are irrevocable, one of those reasons is because if they were to be revoked, God's omnisciency would come into question. Now think about that for a little bit. If God were to begin to take back what he had given, then his omnisciency would come into question. God, you're the God who knows all things. You're the God who knows everything. Didn't you know it would take this long? Didn't you know I would get this old? Didn't you know I would go this far? Didn't you know I would do all these things and refuse? Didn't you know that when you first gave it to me? Well, if you knew that when you gave it, why would you now take it away? God's omnisciency will come into question. And that's why one of the reasons why we believe in eternal security of your salvation, that God is not an Indian giver. He's not going to give you something and take it away. Why? Because his omnisciency would come into question. Why would God give something he knows later on he's just going to have to take away again? Why would he do that? <laughs> 
And it's the same way with the gifts and the callings of God. The Bible says we were called before the foundation of the world. We were placed in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before you had a chance to even do any good or bad, you were called and placed into Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, we were created for the good works that God prepared when? Beforehand. God prepared these works beforehand. And we were then created for those words. So God had the work. God had the purpose. God had the calling. God had the vision in mind before you were even you. And he simply creates you for that purpose. And he makes sure that he comes to pass. That's why he says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Because his gifts and callings are irrevocable. So God is not moved by time. As we said last Wednesday, if you were here, God is not moved by clocks and calendars. That's not how God operates. God resides outside of time. So he is moved by the purposes and the fulfillment of his will. Okay, And if he is working on you and working on you, not only getting the blessing ready for you, but also getting you ready for the blessing. And that's taking some time. So be it. But God is not going to move simply because it's taking too long. That's why it took, took a while for Joseph. Joseph wasn't ready to rule. <laughs> Joseph wasn't ready to be second in command of all of Egypt. So God says, I, I got to give you baby steps. <laughs> I got to give you training wheels. I got to make you ruler over Potiphar's house first. <laughs> I got to make you ruler over the prison first. Then you will be ready to be ruler over the palace. So God is not moved by time. So you can be frustrated that it's taking forever. You can hold your breath and stop your feet as long as you want. That doesn't move God. <laughs> this does not move God. God is still going to move according to his plan and purposes. So I would say this. I think last scripture before we close. I would say this. If this describes you or one day will describe you, I would say this. Meditate on Philippians 3.12. Philippians 3.12 this is Paul speaking, the church in Philippi, and he says this. Now that I, or I'm sorry, not that I have already attained. Paul, who was taken to third heaven. Paul revealed all these things. Paul, who began the churches. This, this is that Paul. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. There is a reason why God laid hold of me. There's a reason why God called me. There's a reason why God found me. There's a reason why God forgave me and brought me into his kingdom and cleansed me and filled me with his spirit. There's a reason why God laid hold of me. So I am going to lay hold of the reason why God laid hold of me in the first place. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, and here, you go, here it is. This is what's going to sustain and keep you. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's what I do. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I simply forget those things in the past. 
I forget that it's taken so long. I forget that I'm now old. I forget all the sins that I've committed. I forget how much I've refused and disobeyed God. I forget all that. And I simply move forward into knowing if I continue in God, that his vision he has for me will come to pass. I will see the goodness of the Lord even in the land of the living. living. So those are all the questions we have time for. We just wanted to give you those particular ones. This has been a great series. I'm so grateful to you guys uh, for it. And I believe more than that, it is a great launching pad into the new year. There's a great launching pad into 2020. I believe God has so much in store for this church and this ministry. And now that we are all on the same page and and know what we're about to do and the vision that God has for this church, I believe God is going to blow the roof off this place here. We are preparing ourselves and readying ourselves for what God is going to do. So my prayer for all you who are here is that you do now see what we see. You do now see the vision that God gave myself and my wife over 14 years ago. You now see who we are. You now see what we do. You now see even why we do it and what we are about enough to want to be a part of it. As I said, this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I believe every year, every coach of every team will try to instill to their team vision. And they will try to instill to their team a vision of winning the Super Bowl. Okay? I don't think any coach goes to their team and says, hey, guys, we just got to have a winning record this year. They don't do that. <laughs> hey, guys, we just got to make the playoffs this year. They don't do that. <laughs> hey, guys, we just got to win our conference. No, no coach would do that. No coach. Every coach, I don't care if it's the Browns, <laughs> I, don't I don't care if it's the Dolphins, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Every coach of every team will instill vision of winning the Super Bowl from August, from day one. Why? Because they know and understand if you don't see it, you won't pursue it. If you don't see this, you won't pursue it. So every year in August, it's the job of the head coach to instill vision in every team that they may have something to pursue. God is doing the same thing with you and I as well. And he has placed this vision on our hearts and has simply given us an opportunity to instill it in you all as well so that we may see it. So my challenge, simply put, is that we would all be a people of vision, not only for the good of man, but for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand for his word today, if you will.